Hello. Hello. Welcome to Salem the Podcast. We are your hosts and favorite Salem tour guides. My name is Jeffrey Lilly. And I am Sarah Black. And today we are going to be uh, dipping back into the Salem witch trials and talking about those five other people who die in jail. So we have focused quite a bit on some of the victims of the Salem trials, uh, Bridget Bishop, Rebecca Nurse, George Burroughs, and I don't know about you, but I feel like the the people that died in jail oftentimes get kind of just thrown by the wayside. It's not really heavily focused on no. uh, the memorials. Most of them don't even include them. Mm-hmm. So it's a, a moment for us to kind of slow down, take a look at some of these people and really tell their stories. And they're cool. Like, they're five very different people. Very interesting in their own way. Yeah, yeah. So we'll spend a little bit of time talking about all of them. But until then... Tour time. Huzzah. Okay. You got anything for me? Um, I did want to issue a shout out to Amber, and I hope I get her partner's name right, Philip. Mm-hmm. I just met them a couple nights ago on tour. They had just started, well, she had just started binging the podcast and I had a nice chat with them after the tour. They didn't tell me they were listeners until um, the end of the tour. And the guy, he's like, yeah, I mean, I don't really get a choice in the matter, but she comes up to me, you know, every day and is like, gotta listen to this, gotta listen to this part, listen to this part. So thank you so much for being a supporter and a, a fun, weird little anecdote. I had someone on tour this past week who just casually mentioned that he had died three times. Like actual legally? Yeah. Legally died. I feel like. Isn't that crazy? He got six more to go. I can't tell you how many people (laughs) have made that joke. And we made the joke on tour. Like, what are you, a cat? Like you have nine lives? And get this. Somehow, you know, we're talking about lightning. I was going to say Caleb Pickman's one and yep. done. Dude, this man, he's like, oh, I've been struck by lightning, but that doesn't like count in the three times. So like he didn't die from that. So he died three times and was struck by lightning on a separate occasion. So, man, I haven't said this on my, t- I was just telling you earlier how I like forget things that I used to say on my tour. Uh-huh. This is one of them. Um, lightning tends not to kill you right away. Is it? Oh, I think you mentioned this. It's like a slow burn. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So for us today, if you get hit by a lane, you're probably going to go to the ER. You're going to seek medical attention. They can do whatever they do uh, as far as I understand it. But back then, he, he's... <laughs> yeah, you're just going to slowly... Yeah. Ugh. Yeah, yeah. But isn't that crazy? It's three times, man. Like, I mean, that's kind of cool. It's cool, but also like at that point... I I would be kind of just walking around like, okay, when's my time? Like, what's going to get me next? Never. You are mortal. (laughs) That's a good positive way to look at it. I like that. Isn't that crazy? Go go him. Go him. Yeah. Wild. Crazy. So that's my tour time. Yay. How about you? Um... I had uh, had some good tours this week. I had a bunch of listeners on tour. Nice. And I had a couple uh, patrons as well. Um, so shout out to them. Appreciate all of you. Um, and I believe, and I'm hoping I'm getting this right. Um, Thursday afternoon, I had Sarah Blake on tour. Oh, I had her too. And you, yeah, she said that. And uh, she was the first person to ask me what was in my brief. <gasps> Yes, Sarah, I owe you $20. <laughs> I remember I t- that's what I said. I said whoever asks Jeff. Oh, yes. 
what's in the briefcase? I owe you $20. So she was the first person to, to ask. And uh, she did kind of casually. She's like, well, you know. And I was like, I got you, Oh, right? my gosh. Yep. But I got asked again this week. Um, I met, well, I uh, bumped into Arlie Kristen. Uh, oh, so we her, love her. Her and her mother came to the live show. And I didn't recognize her for a second. I had the name. I didn't put the, the name because I'm horrible with that. So my apologies. But she was with her husband. Uh-huh. He is the naked proposal. That's what I was thinking. Yes, oh, my God. Yes, Scott? Yes, yes. Scott. So I met Scott. You met Scott. <laughs> yes. Uh, so that was pretty good. And uh, it was small tour. So it was two of them and one other person. It was a nice little, little casual tour. And at the end of the night or at the end of the tour, uh, she was like, like very like. What's in the briefcase? No, she's like, got, got any nudes in the briefcase? <gasps> yes. And I was like, and I was like, I'm sorry. I didn't hear you. <laughs> <laughs> she's like do you have any nudes in the briefcase <laughs> and i was like why yes i do uh so i got out some stickers and uh i explained what the, the significance was because the poor other woman on tour was probably so confused <laughs> like, what on earth is going on and uh so i explained it and i gave them all a sticker and uh she's very happy and um yeah <laughs> But That's I, so funny. I felt so bad for the other woman because I like I I don't think I don't know what she, you don't expect that right? No. And I think she was just slightly traumatized. <laughs> <laughs> but I explained it the historical significance, and if yeah. you want to go see the original, et cetera, et cetera. And she was like, "Oh, thanks." Oh my god, she's okay. So I guess if they don't listen to the podcast, they may think it's weird. Like they may think. You're a weirdo but, but for carrying I, around historic nudes. It was the night tour. So I'd already talked about Captain White. I'd already talked about Daniel Webster. and It's still a set of nudes, dude. I mean, <laughs> everyone uh, who I've given. So I've given them to some friends as well um, because it's just a fun story. And everyone has like appreciated the shit out of it. Yeah, because like, it's great. They've loved it. So I'm pretty happy with the, with the decision. so funny. <laughs> oh my gosh that's so funny all right sarah blake send me your venmo i owe you 20 bucks because you were the first there we go if not i can i'll take you for a drink too did you know and i think we may have mentioned this earlier uh if i recall correctly she is descendant from three people from the trials i didn't ask but... giles Corey, john proctor and rebecca nurse that's cool that's weird. uh-huh i think i hope i got that right but I'm pretty sure if I recall correctly, because we talked about it on the tour, we talked about descendants and stuff like that. And uh, yeah, pretty, pretty crazy. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, there we go. Yeah, that's my, uh, I've been waiting to be like. <laughs> oh, that's great. Yeah, yeah. Thank you listeners for making our jobs so much more exciting. We appreciate you. Always and forever. And speaking of appreciation, I think it's time for some Patreon shout outs. What up? So we are going to start off with my barber because... I think I, um, in her words, butchered the name. So go ahead. Try well, it, Jeff. Right. Now I'm worried because um, I'm probably going to butcher it. And then I'm going to go in for a haircut and she's going to be like. What and then the she's going to butcher you. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, so uh, thank you to Lauren Lusardi. And I if hope... he got it wrong, you can just pull a Sweeney Todd and call no. it a day. <laughs> Jesus. Okay, man, if you want me gone. <laughs> oh, I think we forgot to mention this is a late night recording. Oh, yes. So we have wine. Yes. And it's the evening. We meant to record this earlier today, but um, 
No, no, we have other patrons. We had a little hiccup. Other patrons. Do you want to do the patrons first? I did one. Okay. Well, you redid one. Okay. So. Okay. We'll we'll save it for the, after them. Yes. Big thank you to Tara. Do you think it's Tara? Tara. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Tara. Or Tara. Or Tara. Thank you. I don't know if it could be anything other than those two. So we're going to cover all our bases. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you to Haley Schwips. Thank you, Haley. And last but not least, thank you to Tim Walker. Oh, I wouldn't have. I would have missed the L. You're going to say Waker? Walker. Walker. Tim Walker. Oh, you pronounced the L like a lot. I don't know. Maybe it's the Michigan in me. I, I think know. so. Tim Walker, thank you so much. Thank you, Tim. So thank you so much to our Patreons. You are our patrons. You are amazing. And we've got some fun stuff in the works for you. Uh, stay tuned to the end of the episode because we'll be talking about uh, something special we're cooking up. We know uh, all of you enjoyed the live react. So, um, Of dead hot. Yeah. So, uh. Stick around to the end. We got a little bloopers for you. Got a couple news things to cover going on in Salem. Uh, so while you were away, I visited Professor Spindlewick's World of Wizardry, Ooh. which we recorded in there uh, when we spoke with um, Eric Rodnizer from Gallows Hill. So now Eric Rodnizer from World of Wizardry uh, and Gallows Hill and the Charlie Tour and the Grinch. <laughs> um. But is open, is open for business. You can go down and explore the forest realm and the dark magic realm and the magical creatures. And it's really cool. It was a lot of fun. I'm so excited to get back yeah. in there. Now that it's like totally, totally done. Because we saw it when it was like somewhat mm-hmm, finished. Mm-hmm. But it's going to be. still working on it. He's like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. And so it's like, I think it's just going to be an ever progressing project. But it is open. It is awesome. It is ready for business. Love that. So if you come to Salem, check out the World of Wizardry on Essex Street. Right on the main drag. Yeah. And uh, one other thing I'm going to plug real quick. We have Arts Fest coming up in a month. Oh, my gosh. Um, it's already a month away. Less than. That's crazy. Yes. Uh, so if you'll be in town the first weekend in June, come to Salem. Check out Arts Fest. We'll have street uh, performers, vendors, artists, uh, musicians, and a little bit of magic. Jeffrey put together a little magic showcase. Yes. I uh, got some local magicians to perform uh, a series of magic shows throughout the day. Uh, so every uh, half hour or so, there'll be another rotating magician uh, coming through, doing all sorts of cool magician-y stuff uh, for you guys. Anyone come to Salem? And that will be in Houdini Way. So it'll be in the alleyway uh, named after Harry Houdini uh, next to the building that he escaped from in 1906. We will be uh, trying to revitalize some of that uh, cool magic escape uh, performance stuff. So exciting. Yeah. I'm Arts Fest, I think I've said this before, is probably my favorite event. Yeah. Probably uh, throughout the whole uh, year. Are you sure? No, you're going to say the food truck... <laughs> You're going to say the Food Truck Festival, which I thoroughly enjoy. I love the Food Truck Festival, but I think the Arts Fest takes the cake just because there's so much going on. It's so much fun. The artisans, the vendors, they're incredible. Uh, The music, the live performances that are performed in Derby Square every year. It doesn't get old. So Arts Fest, I think, definitely is up there. It's going to be the common Derby Square, Charlotte Park. Yep. Um 
all, all, there's all sorts of stuff. So check out Salem Main Streets, their Instagram, uh, their posts, all their stuff. And that's in conjunction with uh, Creative Collective. So check it out. We hope to see you first weekend of June. Yes. Book a tour. <laughs> that too. Yeah, we'll definitely be running the streets that day, that weekend. Uh, I'm not doing tours on Saturday. Saturday. Oh, nice. You're just going to be doing the magician yeah, stuff? Yeah, yeah, cool. Yeah. Well, we'll be bopping around yeah, quite a bit. Yeah. So We should do something. Like what? I don't know. We said this last year. We did. We didn't. We, we were saw like, Bora. We, what did we say? We said, maybe next year we'll be big enough to have our own little stand, like our own vending area. We probably could. We probably could, but maybe next year. Yeah. I'm doing magic stuff. Yeah. I'm not doing magic stuff. I got You'll be doing. overseeing yes. the magic stuff. Yes. All right, I think it's time to dive into the episode and to circle back to what I was saying a little earlier, uh, we kind of screwed up in a way that we have never done before. I'm sorry, do you want to try saying that again? What do you mean? Oh, I screwed up. (laughs) I screwed up. Okay. I'm sorry. Uh, I, I know. <laughs> I know. It is my fault. I could resist. But hey, it puts me out on top, though, because I have the next episode already researched. Yeah, you're definitely, you're ahead of the game. Yep. So we, for the first time ever, researched different topics, thinking. Well, so we have a schedule of what uh, all the coming episodes are going to be, and you just missed this week's. And- I think I got thrown off with like Nashville. Because we were supposed to do Caroline Emerton before I left for Nashville. Yep, yep. And so I just assumed that that got pushed back. And yeah, so there I am visiting the House of Seven Gables, all excited. Got my pages of research. We sit down and I'm like, okay, Jeff, tell me, is it Caroline or Carolyn? Because my tour guide said Carolyn and your eyes are wide and you're just shaking your head at me like, no, no. <laughs> and I look at you, it's like, wait, no, no. <laughs> That's not what we're talking about today. No. We are talking about Caroline Emerton next week. Next week. So if anyone follows us on the Instagram, sorry for the false alarm. We're not going to be diving into the House of Seven Gables until next week. So we're going to have a Caroline Emerton, a Gables, and some Hawthorne. So we got like a whole, if that's your jam, stay tuned. We're we're diving into that whole bit of Salem history. It's going to be fun. But on to more morbid topics at hand. Let's head back to 1692. So we have uh, all the individuals who were executed. 19, one tortured to death. But the death tolls uh, typically counted at 25. Um, I remember one time I think I was out with my brothers and, and one of them turns to me and they're like, how many people died in the trials? And I was like, I don't know what you're asking me. Because, I need you to be more specific. Yes. I'm like, I think I know, like, I know how to answer your question, but what specifically are you asking me? So the, the general is 20 died. Uh, and that is going to be the 19 and Giles Corey. Um, and then an additional five in jail. And that's who we're going to talk about today. We're just going to go through one by one. So it was Sarah Osborne, Roger Toothaker, uh, Mercy Good, which is Sarah Good's infant child, Anne Foster, and Lydia Dustin. 
And we're actually going to tackle them in order of their deaths because it kind of helps tell the story of the trials as we move through, which we have talked about. I mean, if you mm-hmm. if you need a refresher, head back to our intro to 1692. Um, but we're going to dive in with Sarah Osborne. You may remember she is one of three people accused at the very beginning by the girls, and she is one of three, along with Tichaba and Sarah Good, brought forth in the Salem Village Meeting House in front of 500 people, and they are the first to be questioned. And she's an interesting one. I always used to say she was elderly. So did I. Okay. (laughs) I saw, I totally misunderstood her age. I, I I had that totally wrong. Yeah, same. Which I think it makes sense because she is described as ill, elderly, sick. Uh, But in reality, she was only in her late 40s when this was going on. And she is definitely still uh, sick or poorly in in, in some fashion. Yep. And uh, also, uh, I think one of the main contributing factors hasn't been to church in a while. At least a year and two months. Yeah. Um, So... I can't remember if we talked about this uh, because we just talk about so many things. Why the girls named the women that they did. Uh Uh-huh. I always tell people like, I don't, we don't know. Right. But the likely sort of conjecture is that children are not stupid and they know who their parents don't like. Right. Like kids know who the, the neighbor is, who the boss is, who the, you know, the PTA, like they know who your parents don't like. So Tichba, slave right obviously um sarah good uh is a beggar so she's asked for charity she does have a relationship with paris and like he's tried to help her but she is very however we want to describe her in, in a in a annoying context um and sarah osborne has been to church and i can just imagine at the dinner table reverend paris being like that damn sarah osborne she hasn't shown her face and you know there's no record yep. of that but i'm like that's that's how these girls learned that. Right. These are very small houses and they are overhearing a lot. So I'm sure that that is where they pick up these mm-hmm. names. And we'll talk about too the Putnam household and how her name was well, definitely floating around there as well. So we can see how she is a topic of conversation and that that's where these girls grab that name from. Because it's an easy target. Mm-hmm. You know that you're not going to be... Uh, they probably know that they won't be questioned too harshly about their accusations because the people that they are choosing are already outcasts in society. So Sarah Osborne was born in Watertown, Massachusetts, around 1643, and her maiden name was Warren, so she was Sarah Warren. She married Robert Prince of Salem Village, and together they lived on a 150-acre farm in that town. Now, So remember, this is Danvers, just, yeah. to, just to remind people. Salem Village was Danvers. Who was Mr. Prince related to? The Putnams. Ah, the plot thickens. Uh-huh. So his sister, Rebecca, married... A Putnam. Yes. A very prominent, powerful Putnam. Captain John Putnam. So this is not Thomas Putnam, the one that's mm-hmm. throwing all the accusations. This is actually his uncle. Still, the Putnams are thick as thieves. Yes. They have a lot of 
uh, political and social power in Salem Village in particular, a lot of financial mm-hmm. uh, pull as well. Uh, a lot of farms, a lot of land, a lot of alliances amongst their families. I remember someone uh, who used to work for my former employer would sort of describe the witch trials as a little Hatfields and McCoys. Uh-huh. And I don't necessarily agree just because there is so many other contributing factors. And it's not two families. Right. Um, Putnam's and Porter's. Yeah. Um, but there is... A Def- lot, alliances yeah. and sides and... Contention between the two. Yeah. So she's living on this farm with Robert Prince, and they have two children, but unfortunately, Robert dies in 1674. Womp womp. He left behind his wife, Sarah, and their two young sons, who were six and two at the time of his death. In his will... Robert Prince bequeathed the farm to Sarah under the provision that it would be passed on to their two sons when they came of age. Side note. She doesn't do that? Well, no, she doesn't. But, like, (laughs) also, what did he expect her to do? Like, is there anything for her in this? Just, I I was reading this, and I'm, I'm trying to figure out. Well, this reminded me of Bridget Bishop's situation a little bit as well right where the husband dies and the court says she can have the land until she dies where which is then going to go to his sons this is sort of a similar case but it's weird though because bridget bishop's sons well bridget bishop's husband's sons thomas were, oliver's thomas oliver's were from his first marriage yeah whereas these children are her are hers yeah but so that the the, the the correlation is similar. Yeah, yeah. But but it's interesting that they, I mean, in a world where women aren't supposed to be maintaining, owning, overseeing property, it makes sense, right? You're going to pass it on to your male heirs. Mm-hmm. And because they were so young at the time of his death, yes, they're going to hold on to that land. Stewardship. Yes, exactly. Yeah. But as you said, she doesn't really do that. I was, I, I don't think I knew this. You didn't know this? No. Oh, the scandal. <laughs> the scandal. Right? It's great. <laughs> I, I honestly, I'm a kind of a fan of Sarah Osborne. Okay, okay. Um, and also, apologies if I say Sarah Osborne or Sarah Osborne. It may go... Either the more wine you have. Depending, yes. (laughs) Well, that also, there's multiple spellings too. So it's kind of hard to say how exactly it was pronounced. So obviously she needed some help on the farm. She has no husband. She has two sons. They have 150 acres. She decides to hire someone. An indentured servant by the name of Alexander Osborne. There's your little hint there. Dun, dun, dun. She ended up paying off his indenture, and rumors began swirling that they were in a relationship. <gasps> the bastard. This was confirmed when they married in 1677. So this is three years three after years. her husband's death. Which I don't... I just want to point out... Uh, 
oftentimes when the scope of the trials, you're like, oh, they met and they were married six months later. You're like, yeah. That's normal. That's normal. Yeah. That's normal. So this, like, it's so soon is not, is not abnormal. No, if anything, this is slightly abnormal for the time Well, well, in she between. hired him and he worked off the, the indenture uh, and then they got married. So I don't think she, she did not marry an indentured servant. No, but yeah. she paid off his indenture. Yeah. yeah. So, you know. This, mm-hmm. Like I said, the scandal. Imagine, you know, it's, it's almost like disrupting this social hierarchy for this woman of such a status with all this land that is supposedly supposed to go to her two sons for her to bring someone of that status into the household probably was fornicating with that servant. I hope so. If you're going to pay off his indenture. Oh my God, Jeff. (laughs) What? And then marries him. I'm sure there was a lot of people whispering about her situation. She also then took the property effectively for herself. For her and her husband, her new husband. Yeah. Which, which she doesn't leave the sons out of it. It doesn't seem, although they're only what, eight, eight and, six at this point yeah so they're still kids they've got like decades to go before they could even own the land themselves right um but she takes it over for so like in all actuality it should have just been fine you know we don't we're not puritans we're not idiots um but you remarry and as long as the land still goes to those kids like it's not i don't think there was any designation to, to strip them of their rights to the land they were still her kids so but, they would yeah. naturally inherit it. Yeah. Unless maybe if they had a kid and then you could argue that that kid would supersede the other kids because, which I guess is possible. But anyway, so that's a bit of a contention. Uh, it is a legal matter. And um, who is the executor of her dead ex-husband's will, but none other than... Captain John Putnam. So... And it is a land dispute. It is an inheritance dispute. And I think oftentimes we have these conversations within the scope of the witch trials. And like, oh, who's going to inherit the land? Who's going to get the land? This is a really great example of where we get that from and how these things are actually playing out. Yeah, it's not like someone pointed the finger at her and is like, oh, I'm going to just take this land. Yeah. No, it was. it had more to do with the relationship between the Putnams that were living right next door, and her family. So remember, Robert Prince, her first husband, was the brother, the brother-in-law to Captain Thomas Putnam. Yeah. So they do have a, a relationship, but now this land is just sitting in the possession of Sarah Osborne. Mm-hmm. For the Puritans, and- this was disrupting the social, the gender uh, hierarchy. So this does play out in court. And those court proceedings will go from, you know, years before the witch trials to decades after the witch trials, in fact. So it's not really a surprise when Sarah is accused of witchcraft, especially when one of those accusers is Anne Putnam Jr. Yeah. So... Again, imagine being inside the Putnam household during this. I'm sure Thomas Putnam had John, John Putnam. John Putnam had quite a few choice words to uh, to say about Sarah and the whole situation. Uh, the fact that they were probably engaged in premarital sex, they were living together. Don't be- make assumptions. They could have just been cuddling. 
or um, bundling, uh, yes, if we wow. want to be historically <laughs> accurate. <laughs> uh, but this is something that would have probably been a topic at the dinner table. Yeah. And these girls would have overheard that name and she would have been an easy target. And also, uh, the Putnams, or uh, Thomas Putnam uh, with Ann Putnam Jr. do pay uh, the Parises a visit weeks before uh, the the incident. Um, and there's not a record, but the timing of it, like if, if he came and he's like, we need to address this Osborne situation because John has been having these issues with this, with this woman and uh, she hasn't been to church, what are you going to do about it? Um, and I can see that, again, there's no record, but I can see that conversation happening. Definitely. Yeah. So by 1692, Sarah is, again, in her late 40s. She is quite ill, bedridden. Some even suggest that she may have had some type of depression mm-hmm. and hasn't been to church in over a year. So she is arrested or she's accused. Uh, and then Betty and Abigail come out with their uh, statements and she is subsequently arrested. On March 1st, 1692, remember her, Tichaba, and Sarah Good were all taken at the same time, mm-hmm. uh, brought to the Salem Village Meeting House. And I believe Sarah Osborne was the third person. No, Tichaba was the third. She was the second person to be questioned by magistrates Hawthorne and Corwin. And she did point the finger at the other two, uh, which I think that's pretty common around the, the entire scope. Oh, I'm not a witch. You're a witch. They're a witch. Everyone's, a, you know. Uh, but she she did sort of staunchly deny um, and say, no, it couldn't possibly be. It was these other women. Did she point the finger at the other two women? Yes. I don't know if she did. I think she might have been the only one. Because I know Sarah Good points the finger at Sarah Osborne. Oh, no, no, sorry, I'm mistaken. You're right. That's- I think Sarah Osborne's the one that's like, no, I have no familiarity with the devil. She'll right. say, no, I never saw the devil in my life. They say, why do you hurt these children? She says, I do not hurt them. They asked her, what familiarity have you with Sarah Good? None. I have not seen her these two years. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, where did you see her? And she's <laughs> just one day in town. Just casually. like Yeah. yeah. And like, I guess that's the right answer. But if someone's like, oh, have you seen this person? I'd be like, ah, not. The way they speak is always weird. I would answer that like, I haven't seen him in a few years. Uh, Might have seen him downtown. I'm not sure. Yeah. One thing that is peculiar about her, her examination on March 1st, she does bring up the indigenous people. So we've talked about before how much of a factor this plays Mm -hmm. in the trials overall how this is embedded in their understanding in their minds in the puritan minds they are agents of the devil heathens by nature and she kind of plays into this and she talks about uh, having a dream where she saw an quote indian all black which did pinch her in the neck and pulled her by her head. So if anything, she's kind of entering into like the afflicted territory, trying to kind of sway them towards that explanation rather than pointing the finger at others Mm -hmm. or admitting to witchcraft herself. She also, uh, and this is uh, from 
Marilyn K. Roach's that Salem Witch Trials book. Uh, so I'll read what she says, but then uh, Marilyn, uh, in parentheses here, uh, Osborne was likely uh, the first, but not the, the last, to question the reliability of spectral evidence. So she says, I do not know the devil goes about in my likeness to do any hurt. So what she's saying is the devil, they're like, oh, you do this, you do this. She's like, I don't, I don't know the devil does that. She's questioning the very idea of spectral evidence. So after her examination, she is moved to Boston Jail. Remember, as we said, a lot of the initial people were moved straight down to Boston because that was typically where these people would be put on trial. And unfortunately, she will not leave that prison. Nine weeks and two days. We do have a bill submitted by the Boston jailer, John Arnold. It says, quote, To the keeping of Sarah Osborne from the 7th of March to the 10th of May, when she died, being nine weeks and two days. Now, help me out with your English experience. I don't know if this is how they still write this stuff out, but can you tell me what that, how much money that is? Looks like one pound, three shilling. Oh, what's the 5D at the end? Would that be pence? No. What's less than a shilling? I assume three S is shilling, so it's one pound. Three shilling. 5D. It's D. We'll figure it out. Her family was charged this amount even after her death, which is, I tell you, it's just like salt in the wound. Like your your family member gets accused of witchcraft, which obviously you know that they're not a witch. Mm-hmm. They're dragged down to jail. Their reputation is completely... Mired. Yes. What? Mired? Yes. Cool. And now they're dead. And you have to pay to get their body out. You have to still pay for their time in jail, even though it was very, it was probably those conditions that they were dealing with in the first place that killed them to begin with. Mm-hmm. It's absurd. We look back on it, it's just absurd. Welcome to Salem Witch Trials. She is the first uh, to die. She does die in jail. I also like to point out that there's no trial. I think that's obvious, but she just sits in jail for almost 10 weeks. So her death comes before any of the official trials start, before anyone is executed, before Bridget Bishop is executed on June 10th. So this really, if you want to talk about who is the first technical victim of Mm -hmm. the trials, the first death, it is Sarah Osborne. And the next person to die in jail? Oh, I did want to mention real quick. uh, In 1720... Her two sons filed a lawsuit claiming mistreatment by her second husband, Alexander. They also claimed that they were forced to sign over their property rights. So as I said, this uh, legal battle continues for decades, continues for decades before and after the trials. In addition to that, you can still see her house over in Danvers. Oh, yes. It's located at 273 Maple Street, and it was constructed around 1660, which I was totally unaware of. I thought the Rebecca Nurse Homestead and the John Proctor place, which is kind of debatable, I thought that was the closest we could get to any victim's home. 
Well, I think that's the caveat there. Oh, God, because she technically didn't die by execution. We kind of just, you're right. Oh, that's so sad. So if you want to go see Sarah Osborne's house, if you're visiting the Rebecca Nurse Homestead, she's not too far away. But as you were saying, the second person to die in jail? Roger Toothaker. Or Toothaker. 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 Roger Toothaker. I feel like Toothaker would be the way that Michiganders pronounce it. <laughs> Roger Toothaker. 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 I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Um, so A fascinating gentleman. If you listened uh, to us and uh, Mr. Sebastian Crane and Mr. Mike Vitka play our, our fun little game, he... Mike Vitka loves Roger Toothaker. Uh, he thinks he's, uh, you know, a creme de la creme of, uh, of those involved in the trials. And, and his argument is pretty good. He said if anyone was practicing any sort of witchcraft, it would have been him. Because he was conducting Beak. some folk magic. Because he was. Counter magic. And good magic. Yes. Yes. We're not signing our names in the devil's no, book or no. anything. And I, I've always found this fascinating that, I mean, it's the Puritans. So I guess you just can't. I tell I tell everyone on my tour, stop trying to logic the Puritans. I literally said, well, not that exact phrase today, but I told people, you got to take logic out of the equation yeah. here. But it's been known for years that Roger Tuthiger is doing what he's doing and has done what he's done and everyone's okay with it. Everyone's fine with it. He's hunted, he's killed witches. Well, we'll get to that. But now all of a sudden, he's a witch himself. You're like, what, what, how did... It was the tumultuous nature of the trials. I feel like they need someone to point a finger at and he is, again, a very easy target. Yeah. He's actually born in London. Travels here as an infant. Which kind of stunned me because the chances of surviving that voyage in general are pretty low. But to do it as an infant child, even lower. I think maybe, I mean, I say that and then look at the date again. Uh, I'd say by 1692 they got better at it. But this is 1635. Yeah, so he was born around 1634 which would put him at about 57 years of age when the trials are happening. Uh, he is a physician, so he's a doctor. Not formally. Yeah. He did not receive any formal training. It's not like he went to Harvard or anything like that, but you got to think it's different times back then. Yeah. A lot of... Uh, on, on the job training. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And uh, so that that was his uh, profession. And it's also kind of what gets him into trouble as well. Um, His wife, too. I read that his wife, Mary Allen, who he married in 1665, was a practicing midwife. And we do hear a lot of stuff about people like, oh, the women that were accused, a lot of them were midwives. And if you were a a female practice, a woman practicing any sort of medicine Mm -hmm. of any type, Mm -hmm. it was going to subject you to witchcraft accusation. When in reality, the people that were accused, very few, if any of them, were midwives but this is one of those cases where we've got some connections don't quote me on this because it just came back to my head i think i heard it on a podcast at some point 
Um, Did you hear it on our podcast? No, I didn't hear it. You know, Um, but there's there's lots of other podcasts out there about witch trials. And uh, and I I do tend to listen to to, to some of those Um, that that midwife thing is a bit of a exaggerated. Right. Yeah. Idea. Except the fact that the first person accused in the Massachusetts Bay Colony was a midwife. And I think that is part of what perpetuates this idea. But then I think no one else. So you're like, (laughs) we're just, yeah, yeah. One and done. But when you're the first, you kind of lay the groundwork. Mm -hmm. So he's technically from Billerica. Yes. Which is about a half hour drive. Yeah, next to Burlington. From where we are right now, but that's a drive. Yeah. So half day. Yeah. At, at least. Yeah. Um, but he's not in Billerica when he's accused. He is actually in Salem. And there might have been a bit of a feud going on between him and another physician in the Salem area. Calling calling Mr. Griggs. Mr. Griggs, are you here? <laughs> the girls, they be under an evil hand. They have been bewitched. <gasps> so if you recall to our first conversation about the witch trials, and I think he's come up a couple times, yeah. Dr. William Griggs, he is the gentleman that comes in and diagnoses the girls, Betty Paris, Abigail Williams, as being bewitched. Under an evil hand. So it's, and I, I always like this, and I, I, I don't think I talk about it enough, is that it is not just these wild accusations, but then you get a doctor a physician, a respected physician. And he goes, well, there's physically, they seem to be fine. So the only other answer can be the devil. Witchcraft. <gasps> da, 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 jazz hands. But then there's Roger Toothaker, who doesn't have any formal training. Mm-hmm. And he's not technically from the area. He's from a couple towns over. Mm-hmm. So there may have been a little bit of a bumping of heads yeah. between these two individuals. And one of his main accusers, so he was... Roger Toothaker was accused by Elizabeth Hubbard, Ann Putnam Jr., and Mary Walcott. Elizabeth Hubbard was living in the home of William Griggs. You don't say. Uh Uh-huh. At the time of the trials. So I don't suppose that perhaps Dr. Griggs could have gone home at the end of the day and been like, that damn Roger Toothaker... Etc., etc., etc. He knows nothing of medicine. He's just whipping up some magic. He's just practicing counter magic, focal white magic. And then Elizabeth Hubbard's like, oh, he's practicing magic. It's like it all makes sense. I mean, hindsight's 2020. Doesn't, none of it makes sense. In addition to that, he is also related to one of our main accused, actually, victims of the trials. The Queen of Hell. The Queen of Hell. Martha Carrier. Yeah, so that is his uh, sister-in-law. Am I getting that right? Yes. Um, I don't even know what to say about Martha Carrier. Every- ha- have we done? No. We haven't done an episode on her. No. We have to do. If we do an episode, I feel like it's going to turn out to be one of those crazy boards with all oh the red gosh. string and all the names because so many of her people, her family members were yeah. accused, arrested. I mean, the web is so intense. So I think the the, lo- the, the short of it, because we can't get into the long of it, is... Uh, she survives a smallpox outbreak in Andover and 
that then gets rolled into she was a witch and that's how she survived. Not just her, but her whole family. And um, then I think there's a, a sort of a convoluted idea that she was then going to like uh, um, descend upon Salem with like a coven of undead witches or, or something along uh-huh. these lines. It's been a while, um, but that's sort of floating around in my head. And he, of course, is now related to this person. Related to the queen of hell. Yeah. And remember, if you know someone or if you have a blood relation to someone who is being accused, the chances of your yourself being accused is astronomically higher. So any affiliation with any of these witches could get you in trouble. So yeah, I know Martha Carrier. I don't want to get too much into, we'll probably talk a little bit more about Mary Toothaker when we talk about Martha Carrier. Yeah, let's let's hold off on that. Yeah, because it's like, it gets good. But so yeah, he's related to the Queen of Hell uh, and he's practicing folk magic. Um, and he kills a witch. Or claims to, or his, he says his daughter. His daughter. His yeah. daughter supposedly killed a witch by means of counter magic that he had taught her. Do you want to um, explain exactly how that magic worked? Um, magic man. Much Much like a... A witch cake, like a pea cake, like a pea cake. We're getting back into 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 pea again. Uh, by the way, and I I mentioned this. I don't know when did I mention this to you. Someone in town needs to make little like lemon drizzle cakes. <laughs> oh come on! And call them pea cakes. Call them witch cakes. Um, <laughs> we should. <laughs> When we have our stand <laughs> at next year's Salem Arts Festival, we'll have some pea cakes for your entertainment. No pea, just just cake and some yellow drizzle. Right, oh a little, my gosh, a little lemon drizzle cake. That would be so. Uh, what happens in an account of uh, deposition uh, of of Thomas Gage? And I'm skipping a bunch of this. Doctor Toothakers and Beverly. Uh, he's having this conversation. So this is a account of the conversation. Um, Toothaker answered that he had seen them both already, and his opinion is that they were under an evil hand. He's talking about two kids, and this is a few years ago, and said that Toothaker had said that his daughter had killed a witch. And when I asked him how she did it, he answered readily that his daughter had learned something from him. I asked what that was, and he said that there was a certain person bewitched and said that person complained of being afflicted by another person that was suspected by the afflicted person really wish they would like not make that so convoluted but fine so complicated so toothaker says that his daughter got some of the afflicted person's urine and put it into an earthen pot and put said plot very close and into a hot oven and the next morning said the witch was dead ding dong the wicked witch the wicked witch the wicked so i guess if you get the so what they're saying is they got the urine of the afflicted put it into an earthen pot and put it in or on or near a fire. And then I guess by that measure, we're burning the witch, which doesn't make any sense because the urine of the afflicted shouldn't do anything because it's the urine of the witch that would do anything. Again, remove the logic. Sorry, sorry, sorry. I tell you what, these people are obsessed with pee. (laughs) I I get it. Corpse medicine, the, the, biles and the liquids that make up what that's not the right word there's um there's a word for it 
It's like it's uh you know what I'm talking about. The ah, what is it? It's on the tip of my tongue and there's multiple it's blood, bile, humors. Yes. Is that what it is? Yes. 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 The biggest gold star of the night. I have none. So yes. it was blood, bile. I don't remember the other I two. Remember. I think there's four yeah. of the human body. But remember, so we've talked about corpse medicine before. These people are kind of, you know, their understanding of science is totally different than ours. And medicinal practices oftentimes incorporated liquids from the body. Leaching was a big, uh, not in their time, but, you know, that was cool. You could that's, that's That was cool. Sorry. Right? You're like, oh, yeah, you're not feeling well, kid. Take a couple of leeches. Yeah. You're like, yeah, sure. Um, Lansing, which we still do, but they would like re- blood draining. Bloodletting. Bloodletting. Yeah. yeah. It's called Lansing? That like, like big yeah. boils and stuff. You just and let everything in, which is still good, but it's like you didn't want to do it back then. Um, I try to make the correlation occasionally. Uh, when people are like, you're an, uh, and I think I said this on the podcast before blood, people would be like totally cool with, um, today. Yeah. The conversation about blood because it's in your fantasy novels already. Right. Vampires and stuff like that. Spell work, blood magic. It's a yeah. known thing. We don't have. Oh yeah. Remember we talked about Megan Fox and, um, yeah, Machine yeah, Gun yeah, Kelly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. We don't have piss magic. <laughs> no, we don't. <laughs> right. But we have blood magic. That's in a in your fantasy novels. Also, uh, and I, I I say this this on tour. Most people, I feel like I've said this on the podcast before. Most people, given the option, if I was like, here, you can cut your hand open with a knife, or you can pee in a cup. They're gonna pee in the cup. Most people, I think, would pee in the cup. Uh, so it is a little more prevalent. It's a little more common. It is a bodily fluid that is gonna contain magic properties. But again, we're getting the urine of the afflicted kills the wit. Well, I guess that must. I don't know. I don't know how they're thinking. Anyway, Roger Toothaker's a witch. Or really. so they say. He was he was admittedly practicing folk magic. Roger Toothaker is arrested uh, for the crime. There are multiple accusations against him. We talked uh, about uh, Elizabeth Hubbard, Nam Putnam Jr., etc. Um, but he lasts a month or so in jail. So he's arrested on May 18th, and he will die on June 16th. So he is the third person to have died in the Salem Witch Trials. And again, no trial. So there are at least, not that this really matters, there are at least now trials being held. We haven't had many. We've only had Bridget Bishop. but But the court has formed the governor's back, so we are on that path. Um, Again, I'm like... I'm getting angry talking about this because I, I keep thinking about what their families must have felt. Like they don't even get, obviously everyone is found guilty at the beginning of this to know that your family member didn't even get a chance to profess their innocence I and wish, to go on trial. I wish he had had a trial. Can you imagine? Oh, I've been great. Yeah. He was examined on the day of his arrest, but unfortunately we do not have that record. It just doesn't exist. So we really don't know what exactly his response was when he was um, questioned. Questioned. Yeah. So moving on to the third individual, and this is 
one of the more tragic. Um, that's going to be Mercy Good. So we've talked about Sarah Good quite a bit. And I think if I recall correctly, we may have her on the docket to cover in an episode this year, a full blown deep dive into her life and her time during the trials. But remember the first three to be accused, Sarah Osborne, Sarah Good, and Tichaba. Sarah Good is a poor beggar. Um, She has fallen on hard times. Her husband is an alcoholic uh, they've lost pretty much everything. So her, that's her second husband. Yep. Uh, her first husband had a significant amount of debt, which he dies, leaves her with the debt. She remarries. Her new husband has to pay off all the debt. Uh, he's has a drinking problem. Uh, they have to sell their property and their land uh, to fund both of those things. And at this point, they are mostly homeless. They also have two children. Yes. So I don't want to get too much into Sarah because we are covering her in the whole episode. Agreed. Uh, there's a little bit of a disagreement, uh, misunderstanding, maybe, sure. About? The birth of Marcy Good. Yes. This is a topic that I think is still debated in Salem. I think we we both said something. Di- I can't remember. We've talked about this before. And we both agree that we were both wrong. So I used to be wrong. So I I used to say on my tours that she, because this is what I had been taught, that Sarah Good, when she was arrested, she was pregnant. Yes. And that's why she was not executed alongside Bridget Bishop on June 10th. But from my understanding now and just knowing a little bit more about the documents and uh, diving into more historical accounts of the matter. It seems like, no, it wasn't, she wasn't pregnant. She actually went into jail with an infant child. So when she was arrested on February 29th, March 1st, she had a newborn. Um, I, it's, there is no record, uh, but I don't think she was more than a month old. Um, and at that point, you're not going to separate, especially yeah. when the husband is such a... Yeah. Yeah. And I I don't know, like, maybe you can make the argument you don't want to take the infant child away from its mother. That's also not okay. But and there must have been someone who could have taken the kid so she wasn't in jail. I, I, I'm sure there was, but A, you don't want to be affiliated with an accused witch, and B... That's another mouth to feed. Yeah. And see the family in general is kind of looked down upon. So who would want this poor beggar's child? And D, she might not have wanted to give her up. I guess that, yeah, she might have been given the option. We don't know. We don't know. She could have chosen to keep the child, but. And I don't know if I, I've seen that the child's name was Mercy. I don't think so. Um, I believe we call her Mercy. Um because she was never baptized, so she was ne- naming typically came with a baptism. Ah. Uh, um, so just in the context of merciful, gotcha. Uh, we call her mercy good. And just to reiterate, because I don't think we really covered this yet, these jail conditions that these people are living in. Oh, yeah. So they they deplorable. die. And we say that they die of jail sickness, is what it's called, because the conditions were so horrific. 
we're talking, you know, super confined spaces. Uh, we talked about the coffin cells in our previous episodes. Uh, if you couldn't afford a larger cell, you're in the small tiny space, no larger than a closet. You can hardly bend your knees. Uh, the summers are scorching hot. We've all, well, you and I have experienced a New England summer, the humidity, the heat. In the cold winters, it's freezing. It's infested with lice, disease. If I recall correctly, the Boston jail was described as a suburb of hell. Mm-hmm. And the Salem jail was described as a grave for the living. I may have those two. I don't, I think you got it backwards, but also, uh, no bathroom facilities. Oh, of course not. No running water. Uh, it was also adjacent to the North river. Uh, the Salem jail was, yes. Uh, that's going to cause a significant amount of flooding. Uh, these places were just radically inhumane and again you had to pay for everything you had to pay for your food you had to pay for your day-to-day lodging you had if you wanted straw for your bedding if you wanted a bed to begin with you had to pay for that and being from this poor begging family as sarah good was they don't have any anything and she's alone in jail except she has her two daughters which does it just makes it so much worse um, I can't, I can't imagine. Yeah. Like, it's just horrible. But she lives four or five months, maybe, um, and passes away shortly before Sarah's hanged. We don't have a date specific for that that I could see. Mm-mm. Uh, so no specific date on her birth, no specific date on her death, and no name. Definitely um, perhaps the most tragic or one of the most tragic situations out of this entire trials ordeal. So after the infant child of Sarah Good, we have Anne Foster. Who is a confessed witch. Who was also located up in the Andover area. Yes. So has ties to the Queen of Hell, Martha Carrier. Yes. So Anne Foster, she lived in South Andover. And I think, you know, we should add this to, I know we already planned out the whole schedule, but we should do an episode on Andover specifically. Do you know there was more people accused in Andover than there were in Salem? Fun fact, I did not know that, but I'm not surprised. (laughs) I have heard people say, like, it should be called the Andover Witch Trials because... I I used to... Man, here we go remembering shit that I don't say on my tour anymore. Uh, Thank you for bleeping yourself so I don't have to. Thank you. Uh, You're very welcome. (laughs) Uh, The Essex County Witchcraft Trials. Ah, yes. I have heard that before, too. So, uh, you made me watch a little bit of Salem? Yeah. The TV show? Yeah, yeah, Um, The, I don't even know how to describe it. With the real witches? Yes, yes. Yep. Uh, There's a scene in there where they have the girls trying to find the witches. Uh Uh-huh, like pointing? Yeah. Yes. So that's what we got here. Yes. Yeah. Remember, this isn't 
as we said, this is not just in Salem. It's all over Essex County. And in order to seek out these supposed witches in these different communities, well, you have to have someone there who has direct knowledge of the the witches. So you have to bring these girls into the communities and you genuinely have them pointing fingers at people. Like, uh, you know, imagine the, there's almost like a fame to it. Like you're getting carted off to this. That's why I tell, I say the girls were just attention seeking. Yes. You you get carted off to this town and you've probably never seen it before. You've never been there before. And people are looking at you like, oh my gosh, this is, they're going to save us. Like like the the, the witch finders. Yes. They're going to light the way and show us where the evil lies. Can you imagine having a little 11 year old girl be pointing at you and be like, that's a witch. So irritating. I would. I would not react positively. No. So Ann Foster is one of these people that they point the finger at. She's about 75 years old when she's accused of witchcraft. So older than Mm -hmm. all these people we've been talking about. And she is examined on July 15th, 16th, 18th, and the 21st. And I think this directly correlates to the fact that she did indeed confess she confessed to being a witch and to practicing witchcraft. And she did it pretty quickly, too, like right off the bat. That's a weird one. She was the eighth person, from what I saw, uh, to confess out of around 50 people when it's all said and done. She claimed that six years prior, Martha Carrier had come to her and said that if she didn't agree to becoming a witch, The devil would, quote, tear her into pieces. She also confessed that she had cursed a hog to death and she had hurt several people in Salem Village. The devil had come to her in the form of a bird on several occasions and she had gone to the Black Sabbath riding on sticks alongside Martha Carrier. And who was leading the, the, the Black Sabbath? Oh, the King of Hell himself. George Burroughs. George Burroughs. Love that. And perhaps the most sensational aspect of her confessions, she said that there were 305 witches in the area and that their main goal was to create the Devil's Kingdom in Essex County. Nice. When Tichaba delivers that first confession and says that there are nine marks in the devil's book, oh my gosh, nine marks, that's pretty much what really sets the place on fire, kicks off the witch hunt. But now there are over 300 of them. Personally, I think this is why they questioned her so much. You know, she's interrogated on four different occasions over the course of a week. Um, I think they were really just pressing her for more and more information, and she was willing to give it to them. That uh, 300 number I've also seen uh, tied to Martha Carrier in in that spectral sense. That was like her army that she was going to descend with or whatever the case is. So it's not just like one allegation. It's and over, of course. So when she's accused, we're in pretty much the middle of summer. At this point, Martha Carrier is already in jail. We've talked a couple times about how some of the later 
accused, especially in places like Andover, they're going to point the fingers not at, you know, just random people, but at people that have already been killed or are already in jail. It's weird. Maybe we can almost do a whole episode on the construct of the accusations. Oh my gosh. How they how they sort of go from wild and frivolous to much more focused and accurate. Accurate's not the right word, but like at first it's just you, 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 and then they get and then these people get accused and then people within their bubbles get accused. And then once the people sitting in jail have time to all sort of talk to each other, then they start retorting that and it all become like as it progresses, it becomes a more solid story. And everyone's sort of saying the same thing by the end. We should note that um, she is uh, the first person or the next person or whatever. The trials are over. Yes. So she's the first person to die post-trials. In a perfect world, once Governor Phipps puts his foot down and stops everything... These people would have just been let out of prison. Yeah. But that wasn't the case. They had to go through the legal process still. Which, like, I appreciate, right? Like, they'd been accused. They'd been charged with a crime. They were arrested. None of that's okay because it was all bullshit made up. But they can't admit that that's bullshit and made up. Right. So we're going to go through and we're going to put everyone on trial. We're going to discount all special evidence, disregard all special evidence and do this the right way. And I, I, I do appreciate that. Um, but the conditions of the jail and the time it took is going to result in a few more deaths. And, and, and Foster is the first one. So she dies on December 5th of 1692 after roughly five months of imprisonment, five months, it's a long time in those types of conditions and again it's december it's getting cold and she's 75 years old and again her family has to pay to get her body out of prison um so that just leaves one more lydia dustin who died march 10th 1693 so we are several months into the next year so the court, so the last round of executions is September 22nd. So September, October, November, December, January, February, nearly six months, uh, four or five months since the court's been disbanded. Uh, people have been holding trials. She gets a trial and is found innocent. I believe it's February 1st, 1693. Um, she's one of the last to put on trial and... She's not let out of jail because... They can't pay her bill. Yeah. So she was originally from Reading, a couple towns over. And out of all these people we've talked about, she spent the longest time in jail. She was apprehended on May 2nd, 1692, and will uh, meet her end in March of 1693. So almost an entire year. The fact that she lasted that long is astonishing and so sad knowing that she was found innocent and these trials were pretty much over by the time of her death. The the witch trials effectively were over. They were over. Continuing trials were going on. She's found innocent 
and still dies. Although there's like this whole weird thing about her actually being a witch. Uh, Robert Califf talks about it. Um, I guess in Boston at some point he's asked. Uh, she So she doesn't say much during her trial. And then she's found innocent. And they're like, okay. And then I guess there's reports of him talking to someone afterwards. And uh, that conversation is effectively, well, there was more evidence on her than everyone else in Salem. And I guess he just, he's like, yeah, there was interesting yeah yeah and they're like shocked that she wasn't a witch if anyone i think that someone said if anyone would be a witch it would be her um but she's also a strange one because we have like no documentation on yeah that. no not really any information and yeah. you always have to take robert califf with a grain of salt so yes but i can also imagine like i was reading that and i was like oh my goodness and like and then i tried to, and I, there's nothing just dead ends but i can imagine like the record of that conversation existing, but I can also imagine you, you have a court proceeding, right? And then you're outside having a cigarette or something. And someone's like, man, her, she got found is there was more evidence on her than everyone else. Right. And he's just like, yeah, yeah, there was not agreeing, but just passively commenting so that he's not getting involved with that person. Yeah. And pretty much everything I've just said is presumption. Yes. But I can also see that, and then that becomes the record. It's like a casual conversation that's yeah. just being had. And, and it's taking place in a time where the trials are pretty much over. Yeah. So there's no real risk necessarily to talking about it in such a way. Mm-hmm. We do know a teeny tiny bit. Her husband was one of the largest land owners in the area of Reading. Um, and... Her family members, some of her family members were accused. Her daughters, Sarah. Sarah, again. Oh, I love it. And Mary, again. (laughs) Sarah Dustin and Mary Colson. And a warrant was also issued for her granddaughter, but she fled the area before she could be arrested. Very much fits the typical pattern. Someone gets accused in the family, oftentimes a matriarch, and then it just trickles down because... In the Puritan minds, witchcraft trickles down. It can be, godliness can be inherited. So, ungodliness. Ungodliness, yeah. Can also, yep. But uh, she's our last one. So, if you decide to visit any of the witch trials memorials, which we've talked about, you've got one right in downtown Salem, Mm -hmm. right next to Charter Street Cemetery, you're not going to see any of these names listed. If you no. go to Proctor's Ledge. There's about, actually only 19. I know. The first time I ever went to Proctor's Ledge, I was like confused. I was looking <laughs> around. I was like, wait a minute. I feel like we're missing someone. And they don't include Giles Corey in that memorial yeah. because technically it was only for those who were executed on that spot. I wouldn't be opposed to a memorial for Giles Corey. Like a singular one, yeah. Kind of in the area of Just his pressing, somewhere. yeah. Or even like a, a give plaque. us a plaque. Like give yeah. the man a plaque. I mean, he's a shithead. He's not the best guy. Definitely not. But he was also tortured death by the government for his critical beliefs of the religious system. Uh, he is involved in the Salem witch trials, right? Like, and we all talk about him all yeah. the time. So yeah. you might as well put a marker up. Just. <laughs> so we've talked about the Salem witch trials on several occasions covered multiple victims we recently covered governor phipps 
but sir, I, sir, sir. Oh, sorry, sir, Governor Phipps. You got to do it in the voice. Sir, Governor Phipps. Is that good? No, no. You do like your little pauper beggar voice. Sir, Governor Phipps. Yeah, that's a little better. Please give us some money <laughs> and stop these trials, please. Nailed it. Thank you. Um, but I think these people, the five individuals that we just talked about, oftentimes get overlooked. You know, overlooked. And I was very happy to cover these people. And I hope that all of our listeners appreciate this as well. Yeah. So these five really add like another level, especially since they're all very different and peculiar in their own ways. Uh, the death of an infant, uh, the death of one, the accused, one, the initial accused who doesn't even get a trial, the death of someone who's related to so many people involved in the trials who is practicing folk magic, the death of someone who's found innocent and can't pay their way out of jail. Uh, it just, it really encompasses like a whole nother side of everything else that's going on here. Adds an entirely different layer and sheds light on the experiences of a lot of other people. Cause yes, these are only five individuals, but their stories run parallel to a lot of others who went through these same ordeals. They may not have died in jail, yeah. but how many people couldn't pay their way out? How many people were close to death and got out just in time? And it makes you think too about the families as well. Paying the debts, trying to get them out, dealing with that, the repercussions of family members in jail. The trauma. Yeah. The pain. And we're not done talking about these people either. We're going to touch on them a little bit more. Obviously, we'll talk a little bit more about Mercy when we talk about Sarah. Uh, we'll probably touch on Roger again when we talk about Martha Carrier. Um, so their still stories are still interwoven. But that's just about all we got for today. So we hope you enjoyed this somewhat morbid episode of Salem the Podcast. Remember to hit the subscribe button, like, leave a review. Follow us on Instagram, send us an email, and ooh, a special reminder, since we're talking about the witch trials, if you are a descendant of anyone involved, so we've, we're got a, we've got a few emails. Nice. We're talking accused, accusers, any, literally anyone Whether involved. you're descended from one or three. One or three. <laughs> send us an email, hello at Salem the Podcast, and tell us your story, how you found out, what this means to you. Because I think, um, if anything, that's going to be a much brighter episode yeah. than what we just dealt with. And in addition to that, we got some bloopers. So if you've been listening. And you want to hear those bloopers, sign up for the Patreon. <laughs> oh, good Any God. tier. Any tier will get <laughs> you the bloopers. They fall at the end of almost every single episode. And, uh, oh, we should also mention at the beginning, before we even hit the record button, I showed Jeff a trailer for a movie. Mass Hysteria. Mass Hysteria. It came out in 2020, and it was shot right here in Salem. So the patrons will hear our full-blown blooper once we stopped watching that, that trailer. But we think... We're thinking we're going to do another live watch. Thinking. Oh, no. we Okay, sorry. We're 100%. We're going to do it and make a drinking game out of it. Okay. We are definitely going to watch Mass Hysteria and 
give you our reaction. Honest. Honest. Inebriated. Inebriated reaction, reaction to said movie. So check out the Patreon. Sign up for that. Otherwise, thanks for listening. See you later. Thank you.